um, I would like to invite you now to pray with us. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for getting us through another week. And for some of us, um, that means a lot because for some of us, we've been through a very difficult week. And Father, I want to pray for Andy and Michelle as they um, go th- grieve through their loss um, and face what we none of us want to face, um, which is the loss of a loved one. And so, Father, we ask that you would please be with Andy and Michelle's family. I want to pray for Ruth as well, Lord, that um, as she continues to uh, battle her chronic pain, Lord, we pray that your healing mercies would provide relief and healing and guidance. Father, we know there are other individuals in our church who have family members who are unwell. Um, and Father, I just want to, you know who they are, and I just want to pray that you would please watch over them, give them strength um, and hope um, and healing so that they may be able to um, be there for their loved ones, but also um, they can see that miracle of healing for their loved ones. Um, and Father, we want to pray for those who ha- are still grieving losses. Um, grief is an ongoing process, Lord. We're grateful that Maxine has been able to return to Melbourne safely. But um, we do want to pray for, for Maxine and her family as they continue to grieve their loss. And for Sue as, as her family grieves their loss of her stepdad as well. Father, we want to pray that um, you would watch over our church, Lord. We are going through a lot of changes. We have um, moved out of 500 Collins Street and um, are in the process of moving into North Fitzroy for the afternoon. And um, there's still restrictions. And, and Father, there's there's so much wisdom we need from you, uh, so much guidance. And so we just pray that your Holy Spirit would guide our church's future, help us rebuild our community, um, and give us wisdom and, and open up opportunities um, so that we know um, how to do the center of influence and really follow your leading for our, our church's future. Father, we want to thank you for the tithes and offerings that have been given today and for um, just not just the finances, but the different ways that people in our church give of their hearts, of their loves, of their lives, um, like Bronwyn teaching Sabbath school today and you know all the tech team that are always on standby and um, you know Ketson who edits the YouTube videos and there's so many people who, and the treasurer Michael, and there's so many people who make this church what it is um, and I just want to Thank you for all, each and every one of them, but also ask that you would um, help us as a church community to really be able to support each other and ultimately to support your cause and expand your kingdom. Father, I pray that as I share the message today, that um, I'd be able to share words that are true, that 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 encourage and challenge and inspire um, us to have a deeper walk with you and to be able to understand what is good in Christianity. I pray in your son's name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so today is our final part in this series, Is Christianity Good?, and, and we started the series in the first section by looking at how Christianity has not been good because there are plenty of examples in the past and present of how the Christian church or Christian leaders and individuals have done much harm and failed to live up to the message of Christ. And then we, we also looked at how Christianity has been good 
um, in the ways that the Christian church, Christian leaders and individuals have uh, furthered and, and oftentimes originated the development of hospitals, social welfare, universities, democracy, etc. Everything can trace their roots back to Christian organizations and individuals motivated by, motivated by the healing and teaching ministry of Jesus. I shared that we must ask the question, not just is Christianity good, but is Christianity good enough? And how it's up to us to keep our eyes on Jesus and follow him because only Jesus is good. Only he is good enough to transform us so that we can better serve our community. In the second session, which where we had the te technical difficulties and I ran over to San Michael's house, um, in that one, I shared the story of Christianity, uh, why Jesus came to live and die for us, and how when Jesus died and resurrected, that small group of followers uh, became empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they shared his story, and they shared their stories of their firsthand eyewitness accounts. So despite imprisonment and persecution and even death, this small group of followers, disciples called Christians, um, share that story and, and how that story spread and how people had their own stories to share as they experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. And so um, I shared how Christianity then spread. And, and because of the tech issues I had, I couldn't share my slides then, but I've got them today uh, to show you that spread of Christianity from that first century, where you see the purple there, where Christianity began in Palestine, you know, in Israel, and how um, it started to spread, and by the fourth century, its its Christianity spread to many parts of the Roman Empire. Of course, the Roman Empire disintegrated, and um, it continued to spread. And at its height, right before about 600 A.D., it had spread to uh, most of uh, what we would call Europe and, and and parts of the Middle East today. But what happened in 610 was that a man named Muhammad um, started a, the religion of Islam, and that movement grew. And in 629, Muhammad's army of 10,000 conquered the city of Mecca, and from then until the 11th century, two-thirds of the ancient Christian world were conquered by the Muslims, including the regions where Christianity first originated in Palestine, and it continues to this day to be a Muslim-dominant uh, area. So as, you know, the, the, the Christian, the, the Pope of the, of the Catholic Church at the time has, has uh, tried, you know, from the 11th to the 14th century, the Pope launches military crusades to try to regain those lands, but without success and with much harm and loss. And so then instead they start uh, expanding out towards new areas. So the age of exploration or colonization from the 15th century onwards spreads Christianity to the Americas, Australia, and beyond. And fast forward 500 years, and in 2020, there are about 2.3 billion Christians around the world. And I found this really um, cool map that the World Economic Forum did in 2019. So the numbers are um, slightly older, 2019. But this shows both the size and distribution of the world religions around the world. And so you can see there in blue, that's Christianity. Uh, in blue, it's still the largest world religion at th about 32 
0.8%. I think now it's um, a little bit different, but these are the 2019 numbers. Uh, the Muslim community shown in green uh, as, the, as the second largest religion in the world at 22 roughly percent. And Hinduism, which you can see is red mainly in India uh, at, I think it's like, I can't read that. It's at, uh, I'm too far away. The font is too small. But yeah, you can see um, the number hopefully on the screen better than I can. Um, so yeah, this, this shows the distribution of world religions by region and by population size. So 2.3 billion Christian in the world, still the biggest world religion at about 32%. And I suggested that perhaps the reason for the continuing spread of Christianity um, over the past 2,000 years is not just political, some of it was, and it's not just cultural, some of it is, and it's not just ideological, again, sometimes that is the reason for the spread, but, but also that it's personal. It's the personal experience of that hunger in our hearts, and I shared this last time, about how we, are, we all are born um, with this sense of wanting justice, wanting restoration, wanting redemption. And how it's that personal experience of seeking it and finding it that um, I believe is one of the reasons why Christianity continues to spread. And that's what I want to delve into a little bit more today. I want to delve into that personal experience of Christianity. And because it's a personal experience, um, I want to share a little bit of my story. Because the answer to, is Christianity good, can only be answered uh, by each individual on that personal level. Why am I a Christian? Why have I committed my whole life to sharing Christianity? It's not just who I am, it's what I do, you know? Um, I could have chosen another career, I could have stuck to my original plan of being an academic, or pursued other interests or opportunities. But why am I here in Melbourne as a pastor, and I calculated this, 12,841 kilometers away from my family in California? Well, the answer starts with my family. Um, when my dad was 30 years old, he gave up a really great career um, working for the government in South Korea because he wanted to keep the Seventh-day Sabbath holy and the job required that he work on Saturdays. He wanted to devote his life to ministry instead and he thought moving to the U.S. with his young family would make that possible. Unfortunately, being immigrants, Korean immigrants, in the U.S. in the 90s was a lot more challenging than he anticipated. We flew into Los Angeles on March 3rd, 1991, the very day that four Los Angeles police officers brutally beat Rodney King, an unarmed African-American man. They beat him with their batons 53 to 56 times during his arrest after a high-speed chase that was televised, like the, there was a, somebody had recorded it, it was televised, it was in the media, it was a big news, um, just like the, in recent times. Um, and um, two weeks after this, so March 3rd, we, flo we flew in, and that's what was happening in the news. Two weeks after that, a Korean-American convenience store owner in South Los Angeles fatally shot a 15-year-old African-American girl named Latasha Harlins, once again unarmed. Um, and so we had flown in and were trying to settle into Los Angeles 
during this time where there was extreme tension between the Korean community and the African American community, and the, the, between the African American community and the rest of society, and that tension was building until the court um, cases. And what happened was that the jury acquitted the four police officers. And in the other court case, where the convenience owner shot this young girl, the store owner only received probation and a $500 fine. So the outrage from this injustice, these two cases of injustice, when, when, when the jury, um, you know, came out, um, with the acquittal of the, of the officers, et cetera, this, this two cases, uh, um, create this riot in 1992 that lasted for almost a week. And during this time, there was widespread looting and assault and arson. More than 1,000 buildings were damaged or destroyed. Approximately 2,000 Korean businesses were damaged or destroyed. Cars were lit on fire. Stores were looted. 63 people were killed during the riots. And nearly 3,000 people were injured. And so a citywide curfew from sunset to sunrise was announced. Schools were closed. So I experienced my first lockdown at the age of nine. And I remember being in our, you know, small studio apartment, looking out the window, seeing the fire and the smoke, hearing the gunshots that were going off. It felt like all around us. People were justifiably angry, but a lot of the people who had been victims now became perpetrators and the cycle just kept going. And so from a very young age, I understood that there is injustice and hatred and prejudice and anger and suffering and violence in the world. That there is in humanity, um, you know, let's call it evil, let's call it tendency, this, this seed that can be provoked or nurtured and that the cycle of oppression cannot be broken by force or by willpower only. And no amount of retaliation ends it either. That hurt people hurt people. And the best of us can become the worst of us under enough pressure and pain. I saw that not only in the society that I grew up in, but also in my own family and in my own heart, that despite my best intentions and resolutions, I failed to love well. I failed to be kind and to be patient with my children, my partner, others, and even myself. That while we may be capable of great empathy and selflessness, we are also capable of cruelty, insensitivity, and hatred. Why? Why is this the case? And, and, and uh, you see, as I read my Bible, I, I found answers that resonated with the reality that I witnessed. Because the Bible said that we were created in the image of God, capable of love and creativity, discernment and discipline and harmony and beauty. But how humanity lost our connection to God and that that disconnect has impacted every human being, every generation, every aspect of our lives. And so we lost our ability to trust in God. We lost our ability to love and trust each other. We lost our ability or we lost our role. We lost the way of being caretakers of our creation. 
of God's creation, I should say, of our earth. We began hurting each other, hurting the earth, defying God to do something about it. We caused the chaos a lot of times, and then we asked God, why do you let this happen? That verse in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, resonated resonated with my human experience as I witnessed the world around me and felt the world within me. And so I, I saw there was a resonance between my experience with reality and what the Bible explained, and it made sense. And, and this idea about human nature rang true for me. And it was confirmed in 1994 when nearly one million civilians of Rwanda were slaughtered in a genocide. We're not a single country intervened during the 100 days of killings where neighbors and, and um, friends and even church members were, were killing one another. I was 11 years old then and living near Philadelphia, the city with the highest violent crime rate in the U.S. Ironically, it's also the city where the U.S. Declaration of Independence was signed with those famous words, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Also in Philadelphia, in the same Independence Hall, the U.S. Constitution was signed a few years later, and it went on to inspire the Australian Constitution and many other democratic constitutions around the world. And when that declaration, uh, sorry, the Constitution was read out loud, the Liberty Bell in front of Independence Hall rang, calling everyone to, to these words that are engraved on the bell. And the words are of a Bible verse from Leviticus chapter 25, verse 10. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all of the inhabitants thereof. Now, when you look at the picture, you'll notice that there is a crack on this bell. No one knows exactly when this bell first cracked, but by 1846, that crack had grown so large that the bell no longer rang. So there, you know, it is in Philadelphia. There's a, there's a whole museum around this bell. This bell, Liberty Bell, that ironically does not ring, cannot ring. How symbolic of the failure of humanity to proclaim liberty for all. The failure of humanity to live up to the ideals of equality that, you know, humanity likes to quote from the Bible but don't like to practice. The ideals of democracy that the Bible inspired that many democracies around the world actually fail to live up to. And why does that bother us, right? When I'm sharing about, you know, all of this, right? If you're feeling uncomfortable, that's expected. Why? Why do we feel so uncomfortable with the state of the world? If there is no God, and if we are here by chance and chaos, well, this is just the survival of the fittest. This is just, you know, um, humanity fighting in competition and um, whoever lives, lives. And there is no sense of compassion or remorse or um, frustration necessary. 
But why is it that we do feel those things? Why is it that we do want redemption and justice and change, not just for the world, but for ourselves? Why is it that we feel within our own hearts, on the one hand, this desire to do right, but on the other hand, this desire to do wrong and the conflict, the constant conflict between them? And once again, this is where I found Christianity and the Bible to present answers that for me resonated true, that rang true. The story of the longing for human redemption being present because God had created in us that desire, that we were created in the image of God and that image of God, though, though corrupted and marred by, by millenniums, <laughs> millennia of wrongdoing and selfishness and pain and suffering, that that hope and that desire still lives on, that longs for change, that longs for redemption and salvation. And from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible presents that story of redemption, of a God seeking to repair the broken relationship with humanity, seeking to restore his image in us as we reconnect with him. And so, yes, excuse me. So, yes, there are stories of, um, sorry, yes, there are Bible prophecies that came true. And yes, there are archaeological evidence for the reliability of the Bible. And yes, there is historical evidence for the authenticity of Jesus. And I've talked about them in the past. Um, and if you haven't uh, heard or um, listened to it before, uh, watched or listened to it before, I should say, um, here's the link um, from a sermon that was preached several years ago on reasons to believe the reliability of the Bible. And so, yes, you know, I, there are plenty of, of, you know, prophetic or archaeological or historical evidence. But the most compelling reason for me to believe in Christianity is that story of human redemption that is lived out over and over again individual after individual, generation after generation. The foul-mouthed, hot-tempered, self-seeking fisherman who becomes a preacher. The soul-scarred, abused, and traumatized prostitute who becomes an evangelist. The compromising, socially anxious tax collector who becomes a gospel writer. These are just a few of the individuals who, whom Jesus met and transformed, not overnight, but as during the three and a half years that they spent time with Jesus um, and they got to know him better, they witnessed his miracles, listened to his teaching, received his mercy, they received over time this new identity, this new purpose, and this new community. I recently started, um, well, sorry, I recently finished watching season two of The Chosen. I've mentioned um, this series to you before. It's the first ever multi-season show about Jesus. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's completely free to watch, thanks to being crowdfunded. <clears throat> season 1 and Season 2, so 16 episodes. You can go to thechosen.tv, thechosen.tv. Um, and it's also an app, a free app you can download on your phone. <clears throat> on both uh, Android and Apple. And the reason why I, I really enjoy these series, you know, of course, it, the stories are based on the Bible stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And of course, backstories and some of the dialogue and characters are, are, are made up. Um, but 
what I really enjoyed about this series is that it helps you kind of visualize and understand the historical context, as well as, you know, kind of imagine how things could have been. Because the Bible writers, they're not writing, you know, long pages. They're just writing what's necessary to, to spread it. You know, remember back then, they didn't have paper and pen. They had papyrus and ink, and so writing was expensive and difficult, and sharing that certainly was. Everyone had to copy it by hand. And so they, they didn't go into wax eloquent. They didn't go into detail. And so watching the chosen series really helps you understand that there's a lot of nuances to the stories. There's whole days and nights and, and moments together that isn't captured in, in the records, but that you have to use your sanctified imagination for. And, um, Dallas Jenkins, the director, I think has done a fabulous job. He's got a whole team of, you know, scholars, um, who help to advise him as he as he directs these episodes, so that it's historically accurate um, as much as possible, theologically accurate, as well as um, you know having having that storytelling, so that the viewer can understand the characters. And so I, I've been really enjoying this, and so I highly recommend that you uh, watch them. And another another reason why I really like um, seeing these series is that you get to see that Jesus you know, ate with them and walked with them and, and, and slept in the tent, um, as they traveled throughout the area. And it just reminds me that Christianity is about a God who wants this personal relationship with each person. You know, you see Jesus interacting with one person at a time, you know, and you see him, how he interacts with one person from another. And the experience of Christianity is personal. And it also reminds me that it's not enough to just know who someone is you know, and to hear about who someone is. Each disciple, each person who meets Jesus has a certain idea of who they think he's going to be and their expectations. And then they come and then they're always surprised because it's different from what they thought it would be. And from the very first disciple who timidly approaches Jesus to see if he really is the Messiah that John the Baptist pointed towards, Jesus simply says to him, come and see, come and see. And he invites him to come and, and walk with him and talk with him and, and become that first-hand eyewitness. And that's how Jesus still works today. He invites us to come and see for ourselves who is he, right? What, did, what does he care about? And what is he doing for us now? For me, Jesus is my Redeemer. He died for my sins so that I can have eternal life with him. So that even though I fail again and again, I have that assurance of salvation because of what he has done. And that assurance of grace gives me that hope and that ability to have that safe space to get back up and try again to be like him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That verse is that anchor that reminds me that Jesus is my redeemer. That no matter what, instead of condemnation, God offers me salvation and forgiveness. Jesus is my teacher. His teachings are recorded um, in the gospel writers, uh, in the gospel books, and they continue to inspire and challenge and guide my thoughts, my values, my choices, and my priorities. 
Verses like Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew six nineteen to 21 Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5 Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take out the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And on and on. And I'm going to be doing a new series on the teachings of Jesus so that we can explore these more in detail. But Jesus is my teacher. Um, his teachings are, you know, my set of mantra and, and the guidelines by which the principles by which I live my life. Jesus, or try to live my life. Jesus is my healer. Like many of you, I've been through pain. I have scars in my heart and soul from a lifetime of experiencing the hurtful choices of others and myself. And throughout my life, there have been times when those wounds hurt so much that I didn't want to live. But each time, God brought hope and healing through reminders, through a sermon, a song, a Bible passage, a book, a story, individuals in my life, strangers sometimes even, that that came and gave me that message that God loves me and has a plan for me. And I can trace God's hand in my history through answered prayers and miracles and undeserved and unexpected blessings. His words sustain me through dark times and his power has transformed me from a very shy, timid girl who used to blush when called upon to answer questions in class and who had to fight back tears when doing presentations in the front of class to now being a public speaker who has spoken in, in six countries around the world. I, I, I now live to make this Jesus known. And although I'm flawed in so many ways, I am who I am because of him. Christianity for me is not just good, it's been everything. And it's given me a reason to live a life that's abundant with purpose and peace. That whether there's a riot in the streets, no money in the bank, a global pandemic, or even an earthquake, I have that assurance that there's more to life than this. That assurance that the Lamb wins and that one day Jesus will reign over all the earth and one day he will make all things whole and he will resurrect the ones we've lost and that we'll be able to have that world that our hearts yearn for a world that is just and merciful and that can love and include everyone what's more Christianity has given me community 
When my family migrated to the, migrated to the U.S. and left all our belongings, all our family and friends, we didn't know a single person in our new country. But the moment we walked through the doors of the Olympic, you know, Korean American Seventh Day Adventist Church in L.A., we belonged somewhere. The pastor housed us in his home until my dad found a place for us to rent. And even though it wasn't very long, I can't remember if it was a few days or up to a few weeks, but it was incredibly generous and hospitable thing for them to do for a complete family of strangers. With all our, you know, our luggage bags, we didn't come light. The church helped my dad get a job and a car and navigate this strange new world because his English was very limited. My mom and my sister and I didn't even barely knew the alphabet and the church provided uh, for you know this eight-year-old girl a place um, that was new but exciting and and fun I remember in that first year attending the the church's vacation bible school for the children and there were songs and crafts and snacks and it just I still remember those songs that's how I learned English in the beginning you know those and I still sing those songs in moments. Those Bible verses that they taught me still come to my mind to help me and comfort me over the years. And every time we moved, and we moved a lot every two years, our parents struggling to keep a roof over our heads and food on the table, we found a new church community um, everywhere we went that made us feel at home, that gave us a Sabbath from the hostility and the discrimination and the challenges we faced during the week in school or for my parents in the workplace. The church families gave us hand-me-downs that meant we had clothes to wear. And sometimes they would give us baskets of food from their gardens or from their farms or, you know, extra things. And I wasn't embarrassed or ashamed to accept their charity because I was grateful. I was grateful that, and because I knew that this was God's answer to our prayers to be able to pay the rent that month our prayers for hope. And we have tried to pay forward as our circumstances have improved to be the answers to the prayers of others. And we have served. My mom and dad have served at every church they've ever been as deacons or elders or sub school leaders, um, potluck members, treasurers, you name it, they've been it. Um, and in fact, my mom, my dad met my mom when she was um, a lay pastor of a church in, in Korea, and that's how they met. And my sister and I served too. You know, since the age of 12, we, we've been teaching Sabbath school for the younger children, um, helped with song service and, and greeting and et cetera. And, you know, it's because of the church that not only did, did we have that purpose of service and, and that sense of belonging, but also it's because of the church that I learned skills like leadership, um, skills like public speaking. The church provided not just a community, not just an opportunity for service and mission, but growth and in our worldview and our ability to interact with people from all backgrounds. You know, Romans chapter 12, um, there are other passages, but Romans chapter 12, verses three, eight, 2 to 8 highlight, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. 
If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Every church I've visited or belonged to has been an opportunity to meet people that I would not have otherwise met. People who have changed my life. I met Roy in church, and he was very different from me. And if it hadn't been for church, we might, we would not have met. <laughs> we would not have connected. I met a couple um, in church in, in France when I was doing a summer internship there who changed my life. Um, I shared this story. If, if you go on our YouTube channel and search for um, An Extraordinary Life, preached on April 21st, uh, 2018, you can hear that story of, of that couple and how, how they impacted me. So many people throughout my life in churches have, have changed who I became because church challenges us, not only in terms of accountability, where we can encourage and challenge each other to walk closer to with, with Christ, but also because church is the body of Christ. It's a diverse body with different backgrounds, different political views, different personalities. And it is this diversity um, and this, you know, challenge of being so different but being called together that actually helps us grow and and if you look at what jesus said to his disciples he said in john chapter 13 a new command i give you love one another as i have loved you so you must love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another because you see, there was Peter, the impulsive fisherman, and then you had the, the rich and educated but greedy Matthew. You had Simon, the zealot, whose political views were completely on the other side of Nathaniel's. You know? And then you had Thomas, the skeptic. And you had James and John, the, called the sons of thunder because of their temper. And, and you had all of this eclectic group of men and women who followed Jesus. And Jesus had to command them to love one another because it didn't come naturally. And, and, you know, when you read the stories and when you, when you watch the chosen episodes, you can see that, you know, the, the grumbling, the, the, the infighting, um, you know, the, the, the um, little passive aggressive comments and, and sometimes, you know, fights even of arguing and just almost physical fights. And, and that's because this diverse group, this body of Christ that Jesus brought, brings together, he wants us to learn. This is, this is our laboratory where we learn to truly love each other. And through that experiment, when we have success, that's how the world outside sees that God is real. That's how the world outside understand that God is love. David Kinman, Kinnaman, sorry, president of the Barna Group said, church is a place that is meant to be very different from anything else we may experience other institutions of family or workplace or social clubs because it connects people across boundaries. It's a beautiful expression of what human relationships ought to look like between people of different age groups, genders, racial and ethnic backgrounds, vocational arenas. It's a great example of why we have to keep pursuing the church in its ideal form. The Bible says, Now therefore, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, 
having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Excuse me, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Did you catch that? The Bible says that the church community is where God's Spirit dwells. That when two or three are gathered together in His name for the purpose of communal worship and mission, God shows up. That when we gather together in community, we get to see God. And so, Church community is not just for accountability and not just for encouragement and not just a place where, you know, we have an echo chamber of um, opinions and thoughts and values that are like ours. No, the church is a place where we challenge each other and, and grow to love each other. Those of us who are different, those that we would normally not socialize with. The church is that place where God commands us to love each other, to be the body of Christ that is diverse and yet functions and works and loves together for the purpose of representing him to the world. Is Christianity good? I've run out of time to talk about the power of Christianity to help addicts find freedom. I've, I've run out of time to talk about quantum physics and um, how researchers and sociologists have found that Christian faith and Christian community prolong your life and happiness. But I want to invite you to come and see for yourself whether Christianity is good, whether Jesus is good, whether church community is good. I want to invite you on a Bible reading plan. It's This one is just a seven-day one. It's called Who is Jesus? Part 1. And if you enjoyed this, there's part 2, 3, 4. But for, uh, for now... Join us for part one, just seven days. Um, and when you click on that QR code, it takes you to the, to the Bible uh, app where you can follow along. And every day there's a little reading plan, devotional, some Bible verses, and an opportunity to share your thoughts and questions on there with the community. And I want to invite you to, to join me on this journey for this week um, to find out who Jesus is, to find out what Christianity is about. And as I've mentioned already, um, start watching the chosen episodes just to get that visual, you know, audio experience in your mind as you read the Bible uh, so that you can kind of picture and imagine it better. And I want to invite you um, to join us on our Zoom sharing after this sermon so that we can fellowship and encourage and pray with each other. I want you to answer for yourself that question, is Christianity good? Has Christianity been good to me? Has Christ been good to me? And I pray that as you take this step of faith, you will experience that Bible promise in Psalm chapter 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. Please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, there is so much we could say about how good you have been, despite the bad that we see. And I want to just thank you and take a moment to be grateful for life, for salvation and redemption and the purpose and peace that you give to us here and now. 
And Father, I just want to pray that as we journey together as a community to explore who you are, to explore your teachings and how you call us to love and to mission. I pray that your Holy Spirit would dwell with us, that as we gather together, we would be able to see you, that as we learn to love each other and as we learn to love you better, um, and as we read our Bibles and, and understand the worldview that you present to us, that we would have that clarity of life purpose, of meaning, and be able to sing your praises and join the movement of those who are willing to be your disciples. I pray in your son's name. Amen. If you 